Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire production. production. Oh, what are you drinking? <laughs> I wanted you to read what it says. Can you read it? Rowdy Mermaid. <laughs> Rowdy Mermaid. And I, you, you and I were having a little right before we went on about, about what we were going to do today. And you said today was about mental health. And this is ashwagandha and blackberry. So I am right on point for mental health. Actually, that's not what I said. <laughs> I, I said, I said mental illness. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Ashwagandha might not help with mental illness, but. Yeah, because I even had up the uh, definition of flight of ideas. Uh, do you know what flight of ideas means? No. Okay. In psychological terms, it's something used to help diagnose schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. It's when somebody oh. goes from one thought to another thought really quickly without any sort of intervention. Like they're talking about a bug on a tree and they end up talking about uh, making your bed. And there's no connection between the two, okay? So- uh -huh. I was gonna say, oh, I feel like we do that all the time. <laughs> well, the, tr the truth is that there is a bug sitting on my window right now and I just made my bed. So there actually is a connection between bug on the bug on flying by and making my bed. <laughs> yeah, I just did my laundry. So um, yeah, I like days where I where I, I I'm in a new campground. I am outside. Uh, where am I outside? I'm outside Suffolk, Virginia. I'm gonna stay here a couple more days. I came back. I was down in North Carolina. But anyway, I don't want to get into that at all. I just want to talk a little bit about flight of ideas because when you don't have a printer. When you don't, when you drop your phone on the floor and all your windows that you had open for the podcast disappear, um, you said, do you want to reschedule? Do you want to take a moment? I said, no, no, I just want to, I want to talk because I think sometimes we do our best work when we just talk. Yeah. And no one I'd refer, rather talk to than you because you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, when, when all that goes on. So, so um, let's just, let's just backtrack for a little bit. We're going to, we've been having some trouble with our sound and we've made apologies on a couple of our last podcasts. So we're going to try to do better. Um, as soon as we get, I get off the road, I'm going to, I'm going to get Bliss and I some high quality headsets so that we can join the ranks of the high quality podcasts out there. <laughs> Yes, we, we're going to upgrade once again. But when you're on the road and you have sketchy Wi-Fi and or you're in a hotel uh, conference room trying to interview somebody with a single microphone that used to work really well for us in your kitchen. But for some reason, didn't work so well last week. Yeah, it's too bad. But hopefully, you know, people got some pearls of wisdom anyways. Well, she's she's just brilliant. I mean, I. Don't say that because she's my friend and, and because she quotes me sometimes. Which, um, <laughs> no, she is. She's really uh, brilliant. And her path is, if you listen to the podcast, you'll find out her path to what she's doing wasn't exactly what she intended, which sort of happens to all of us sometimes. 
in life. But um, just this past week, I, she put out an article on, um, on I think, COVID re, uh, vaccine re, uh, reluctance or something like that. And there was a quote from me. People can read it. It's posted on my Instagram page and it's posted on my story. But I, it is funny because I, I think I might have told you this, but I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fiery when I talk, even when I'm quoted. But I was much more fiery than what she quoted. <laughs> I said things like liars and evil and stuff. And she sort of had me tone it down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know why we need to tone it down anymore. They're going to they're going to censor us if you're calm and nice anyway. So why not be truthful? You know, the truth is only bothersome to those who don't speak it. I'm nodding my head. Does it bother? Yeah. Does it bother you to hear truth? Well, I don't, hmm. you know, there are, truth is difficult. Truth is, I think we have our truth. The thing that we know is, is true for us. And that can't be um, argued because uh, it's your truth. But, you know, we've talked so much about how do you know what's truthful anymore? Um, so well, I, I think gotta, truth is, I, gotta, I think truth is, yeah, I know you think you do. Um, so truth is, you know, truth is not always that cut and dry unless it happens right in front of you. I had this argument actually with another really good friend of mine about a year ago. Um, because it's like, you know, unless that happened in your presence, you, you can't attest whether or not that is actually the truth because things can be manipulated so easily. So science can be manipulated, audio can be manipulated, video can be manipulated, you know? So we do our best to kind of use our own common sense as we start to put things together, but truth, well, yeah, like but undeniable truth is, it's difficult. It's difficult to claim that. I don't think it's as difficult as you think it is. All right. Okay. I, think, I think there are things that are self-evident. That all men are created equal. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, like common sense, we said. Like I said, you know, there's common sense, right? But Right. You know, anyway. I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I'm reading a, a no on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> you guys could see her face. It's just like when I say stuff like that, it's the obvious stuff. But um, on Audible right now, I'm listening to a book called Dissolving Illusions by a woman named Suzanne Humphreys. And mm -hmm. it's about the vaccine industry. And the first few chapters are about the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries and how bad it used to be, hygiene and health and what we put kids through and what we put people through and the, and the epidemics of smallpox and typhoid and dys dysentery and all that stuff and how a lot of these things were changed by just changing simple hygiene. And, and a lot of credit that's given to vaccines is, is given to vaccines when it really wasn't the vaccines that changed anything. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. But they did the story of Semmelweis. And Semmelweis is somebody who hopefully all our listeners know who, who he is. He, he lived in the 18th century. And there was a thing that was running, I think it was the 18th. No, it was probably the 19th century. It's the 1800s. So um, there was a the, the mortality rate in many of the birthing hospitals in Europe in that time was as high as 30%, which 
means a woman came in to give birth and she and 30% of the time she died, leaving children without their mothers, fathers without their spouses. Um, children ended up in poverty. Children ended up in working as in child labor. Uh, a lot of the children died because they didn't have a mother to take care of them uh, because of puerperal fever. And he and another guy named uh, Holmes had a theory that this was basically something to do, this was before germ theory was known, but if you just washed your hands between things, you could, you could go from having a mortality rate of 30% to having a 0% mortality rate because they would go right from the lab where they were working on cadavers uh, and other things and they wouldn't wash their hands. And then they would do vaginal exams or surgery or whatever. And they'd be, and these women would then die of fever. Well, he tried to go before societies at that time to speak his truth and they laughed at him to the point where they eventually tricked him into an asylum. And he died a couple of weeks later from an infection he got from being beaten in the asylum. All right. This is a guy who was right all along. And yet he was driven to insanity or yeah. tricked into that. And then and, and gaslighted and told that he's crazy to the point where because he upset the apple cart, he, you know, you always follow the money and you follow the reasons why they didn't want to listen to him. Why not just wash your hands between things? Why, why wouldn't you do that? There must have been a reason other than we don't want to listen to Semmelweis that they, that they, they wouldn't listen to him. And women yeah. died. Millions of women died. And then subsequently children suffered. And they suffered all because they, the people refused to listen to somebody who was a bit visionary. So the reason I bring that up is because when you talk about truth, we talk about home birthing, all right? We talk about midwifery model of care. We talk about visions of changing what's going on in the medical world. We have a 30%, 40% C-section rate in industrialized countries. We yeah. have satisfaction rate that's very low. We have poor breastfeeding rates. And, and there are people making suggestions that are very simple to institute, but they don't. They don't institute them. They laugh at you. They're not yet locking us up in asylums and beating us to death. But if they could, they, you know, who knows? So I'm just saying that, that when things are obvious, or even if they're not obvious, if they're not obvious, then, 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 try, then let people try anything they want. Let people try home birthing. Let people try ivermectin. Let people uh, you know, try... Uh, alternatives to cancer treatment. Um, I also, you know, just finished the book um, Healing Back Pain by Dr. Sarno. Yeah. You know, I, again, I have a lot of time for this sort of thing, so I get to read. And um, I was talking about having surgery, I think, on one of the last podcasts or most recent podcasts um, mm -hmm. about that. And um, I haven't taken his course because I don't know how to actually take his course. Um, I don't even know if he's still alive. But um, I've been trying to deal with this through resolving trauma and dealing with my own issues. And there are days where I actually feel a whole lot better than I felt a week ago. Amazing. Yeah, it is. I still have some stiffness in my legs, which I got to figure out how to deal with that. But sometimes my back isn't bothering me like it, it was. And I know that I have um, x-ray CT scan evidence of bone on bone and this sort of thing. But he, and, you know, if you read his book, it's only a three and a half hour book. So it's not a very long book. 
Um, mm-hmm. If you read it, you find that that 80, he says 80% of people who have back pain or leg pain or burning or numbing or that sort of thing, it's not physical. It's mental. So, so can you get, so can you give people um, any like tips or insights into, into ways that they might be able to help themselves besides I, reading the book? I can't. <laughs> I thought this was so important that I actually made notes. And there are 12 awesome. things, he says. Okay. Pain is, is uh, tension myositis syndrome, not structural. It, it comes from mild oxygen deprivation. It's a harmless condition. Hang on, I got to put my glasses on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, from repressed emotions. Yeah. Uh, number one is repressed anger. It exists only to distract from me from my emotions. So this thing you say to yourself, the pain is there to distract me from what's really bothering me. I can blame mm-hmm. it on my back pain. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a little bit woo, out there a little bit for me, but not terribly out there. Okay. Have no fear since pain, since your back is normal. Even if they have x-ray evidence of it being abnormal, it doesn't mean if you took an x-ray of, of a hundred people who have no back pain, who are my age, it would look exactly like mine. How do you know that? Well, he said that. Oh, he said that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He said, it's just, it's normal. There are normal changes that occur. And some people, you could take the x-rays of people who have back pain and the x-rays of people don't have back pain and, and shuffle them up and you wouldn't be able to tell who, who's belonged to who. Huh. Fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, physical activity is not detrimental. So it's the worst thing that you can do if you have back pain is to let it control your life and stop you from doing the things you're doing. So one of the things that I did last week was I went out and bought an electric bike. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't gone bike riding in years because I didn't have the strength in my leg to do it. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I've been out every day now. Now, granted, I use pedal assist, but it's still, I'm so happy to be back on a bike. <laughs> I, can't tell you, I used to go on these big bike trips and go all over the place uh, with my friend Bruce, um, who's down in San Diego. And we used to go on these backcountry bike tours and we would go to, to uh, uh, Banff and Lake Louise. We went to wine country. We went to the uh, San Juan Islands out near Seattle. I think you were out there too, just recently, Bliss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you must resume all activity, not be intimidated by your pain, shift attention from the pain to your emotional issues, state that you intend to be in control, all right? It's not your unconscious mind. You, you want to, it's your conscious mind. You want to control these sorts of things. Um, Think that it's uh, psychological and not physical. And he says that people, 85% of the people that came into his program had no, no um, psychotherapy and still got better. Their and back th- pain got better. Yes. And 15% mm-hmm. were resistant uh, to the subconscious things and, 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 and didn't succeed or had to get, got into therapy and that sort of thing. But you can do mm-hmm. this without intensive therapy. So I'm going to keep giving you updates on this as we go through the summer and we'll see what happens. I love it. Yeah, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I 
had asked you if you if you knew about Louise Hay, who has a book called Heal Your Life. And she was a woman in the 70s who talked about the fact that most of the things that happen in our body, illness, disease, discomfort, pain, um, comes from emotions, psychological factors. So that's cool. Yeah. But you and found it, somebody, that somebody really that's resonated. concrete like me, that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of an OCD scientific logical mind to, to grasp. This is, I mean, this is, I've been open to this sort of thing. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now anyway. Um, right. You know, or what I've been doing the last 20 years, 15 years, 12 years, whatever. Um, so speaking of like positivity, thinking and visualizing things, you and I and Marin and that stuff have been, and Nathan, and we've been talking a lot about something. And I want you to just sort of talk a little bit about that. Put, we want to put it out there. Well, um, Marin Green, um, who was on our podcast recently, who's one of the co-founders or the founders of um, Indie Birth, um, has she put out on her podcast this week about the vision that she has for her uh, radical midwifery school and a birth center similar to what Dr. Stu and I have been talking about, about, you know, a modern farm, so to speak. Well, you know, it's difficult to do out here in California because one, they're so restrictive and two, um, to get property, that kind of property out here is, is, uh, hard to do because it's so expensive. So, um, I know from talking to Nathan Riley, who we've mentioned many times on the podcast as well. Um, they both live in Kentucky, about 90 minutes apart from each other. And I know that they're good friends and I know that they've talked about um, collaborating together on a podcast and, you know, potentially doing this together. And so I don't know, was it last podcast or the pod? It must've been the podcast with Marin where you were like, yeah, we're going to do the farm. And I was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Um, But after I heard this short little podcast that Marin put out about her vision Um, I started a chat group with the four of us and um, I was like, okay, this, we're all doing such amazing stuff and how can we support one another? Maybe do one on the West coast and one on the East coast. And uh, she found a property that's 300, right? It's 300 acres. Yeah. It's 300 acres. It's got, it's a bed and breakfast with, uh, like seven bedrooms. And then there's a bunch of outbuildings and side buildings and it's got springs and creeks and trees and forest. And beautiful. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the, the thing is it's a lot of money. I think it was $3.5 million. So what, yeah, we're, what but... we're doing is we're trying to manifest benefactors. Uh, yeah. I was like $3.5 million. I mean, for, for that amount of land is really nothing. Think about you, but you could get a shack out here in California for $3.5 million. So, um, you know, she's like, well, I guess we'll just have to wait for $3 million to show up. And I said, no, actually you just need a down payment. And then you need to figure out how you're going to get the business plan going. Um, so they, uh, they asked me to, obviously you're, you're out there and thinking about being in Kentucky. So you're going to swing by and have some conversations with them. But I said, why don't you guys do this together? And then they said, Hey, bliss, you want to come open a birth center? 
And I, uh, no, I don't, but I'm having FOMO because yeah, but it's what not you a, guys it's are talking be a birth about is amazing. It's not really a birth center. It's going to be a, um, a retreat where uh, Marin and Indie Birth are going to teach independent midwifery. And yeah, which is rad. I'm going to do, if, if I'm involved with them, I'm going to stay there and, and do, breach, do a breach center where people can yeah. come and they can come for a few weeks and check in and go for walks and meditate. And, you know, it's not that far from, I think it's only 30 miles from a major airport. So, yeah, um, yeah so we're manifesting that. I, am, I do have an, a Zoom meeting tomorrow with a lovely lady that Kimberly, uh, our friend Kimberly Vanderbeek, hooked me up to. Um, I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. She's in Texas. Um, right. But if anybody knows anybody or knows anybody who's willing to, you know, help finance a loan or whatever, because, you know, that's the thing. And we really don't want investors because we don't want lawyers involved. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And people telling you what you can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah. This would, mm-hmm. would be 100% run by midwives, this place. And uh, there would be no, no administrative personnel. <laughs> Immediately, there'll be something in the Constitution that we write that the minute somebody wants to become an administrator, they're fired. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, it's a beautiful vision. And uh, check out Marin's um, description of what they're envisioning. And then Nathan Riley has a passion um, for growing all the food there and having everything be biodiverse and everything being very um, eco-conscious, which, uh, you know, if you guys have listened to us long enough, you know that that's a real passion of mine. So I don't know how deeply I will be involved because uh, I don't know that I could be in Kentucky in the winter. It's not really probably going to be no, for but me. You could be, you could uh, be a seven-month seven mm-hmm. seven teacher. Yeah, no, I thought about it, like making sure I have a little place there and coming coming and participating in some way. So, um, yeah, if you guys are inspired, if you know people that might be able to support uh, financially, um, definitely connect with us or Marin. Yeah, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about, of course, I lost that. I dropped that on the floor, too, was yeah. um, let's let's take a moment and talk about one of our sponsors. Let's talk about Element, LMNT. L- M-N-T. L-M-N-T. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an uh, electrolyte mix. Comes in packets. You mix it in water. Eco-friendly. Uh, very tasty. Comes in multiple flavors. And I actually had all the flavors lined up on my phone, and then I dropped it. So I know that you like your mango chili, uh, but there's whole other. There's watermelon, and there's uh, chocolate, something chocolate with it in it, and mm-hmm. a bunch of great flavors. And it's got all the good stuff in it that, that we really need to stay healthy with uh, none of the, as Liz likes to say. None of the BS. None of the BS, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, it's good for birth workers. It's good for women in labor. It's good for men working on, on their yard or in their garden and, and gr- growing their own food farm to table or when they're, when they're mowing the South 40 at the 350 acre, 300 acre place I mean, Element will be our staple drink at the uh, Kentucky Center, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, if you go to drinkelement.com, that's drinklmnt.com, and put in uh, backslash birthing instincts, you can get a free sample pack uh, for only the cost of shipping, which I think is five bucks. 
So we hope that you'll support them. Um, they've been with us for a while now and we really appreciate our long-term sponsors. So thank you, Element. Thank you. Um, we were talking about farming and <laughs> I did promise to just talk a little bit about the fact that I did visit the farm in Tennessee a few weeks yes. ago. Yes. And <laughs> got so much great feedback on the picture that I posted on Instagram from people saying, oh my God, you're so lucky and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a very peaceful place. It's 1,700 acres. And wow. they, got, they got it at, I think they told me they got it at like 70 bucks an acre back in 1970 something. And right now I got to meet, still there are four, I bet four of the original people from the bus. Um, That's amazing. Came out with Ina May. Now you asked about Ina May. Ina May is not sort of with it anymore. And she's being taken care of in, in, in some city in Tennessee, but she's got dementia, let's just say it. And, um, but the four people that I met, three women and a man, they've been living there, there you know, since the seventies and they were great and they were very kind to me. I showed up in the beast with no announcement. <laughs> they were kind of a little baffled, like, who are you? We're not open yet, blah, blah, blah. I told them who I was and they didn't know who I was. Okay, oh, they did not. Yeah. Right, well, because I, they're the farm, they like probably don't have TVs there or something, I don't know. <laughs> I know, you know, I mean, how much is a farm on social media? You don't see them on social media ever, do you? Yeah, I don't. No, I don't. I don't right. know. No, they still have oh, yeah. a they still have a school there. They're teaching traditional midwifery and they do about four births a month. And so I got to see that, you know, I got to see the property. It's just great property. There's over 200 people living on the farm. Wow. Did you Families. see how many buildings they had? No, I don't really know how many. How, they got a lot of them. A lot of homes and stuff uh -huh. there. But uh -huh. I know that a lot of them are descendants of the people that came there in the 70s. Second, yeah, because they own the land, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the land is now a conservancy. And apparently, you know, I don't think they pay taxes on it or anything. I think it's, it's the state has been very good to them. And they have a really good relationship with their local hospital. And they have a very low transport rate, as you know. Yeah, um, all of their statistics are amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't publish them. So, you know, we really, no way of knowing, but it was just, it was, it was sort of a nostalgic, even though I'd never been there before, I guess nostalgia means something you remember, but it was just, I remember the seventies. I mean, I was around in the seventies. Um, mm -hmm. I could have been on the bus actually. You were, you weren't, you weren't that um, groovy back then. Oh, hell no, I wasn't. No, I know. <laughs> I was, a, I was a nerd in high school trying to be get, trying to get academic honors. That sort of thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. But nonetheless. <laughs> yep. I was on the yearbook. I was on the yearbook staff. I was the manager of our hockey team. I wasn't good enough to make our high school hockey team. So I got to manage, which means I got free ice time. By the way, the Stanley Cup playoffs start tonight. By the time this podcast airs, I hopefully the Kings will have won their first round. We'll we'll recap that next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. The other thing I want to talk about before we get into some medical stuff is um, I made a trip, a part of my trip, I've been going wherever I feel like going, and I went to the Outer Banks. And I don't know how many people have been to the Outer Banks. Um, it's North Carolina, and uh, it was amazing. It's amazing. First of all, the 
bridges that you see there, sometimes they're over mile, two miles, three miles, five miles long. Yeah. They're amazing. It's an amazing bit of engineering. And it's, you know, I often, I, I look at that and I wonder, geez, you know, could we get that done today? With all the environmental impact stuff and with the, you know, oh, you've got to have like half your crew has to be women and people of color and, and you know, everything, you've got to have meet all these requirements to get a state or federal contract, all this red tape. It's, you know, it's a lot of reasons why doctors don't just keep their head down and don't do anything, don't stand up or speak out anymore is because it's too difficult. It just, I just wonder, I look at the marvels of engineering um, that take this long piece of just sand, basically, and they, they built roads on it. They keep the sand off the roads. There's, the dunes are blowing every day. Um, and the ocean is pristine. There are unbelievable amounts of shells. You know, growing up in California beaches, if you find a broken shell, you're thrilled. <laughs> One. <laughs> on, on these beaches, it's amazing. And, and it's almost uh, the turtles will be coming this month to lay their eggs on the Outer Banks. And so it was it was a wonder of nature. Mm-hmm. And I'd encourage people to go there. And especially, I mean, I went with my RV, so it was great. I just plucked it down. And the fact that I had my electric bike now means I'm not trapped and yeah. I, got to, I got to go long distances along these roads. And then I would just park my bike, lock it and climb up over the dune. And I'd be at the Atlantic Ocean um, and I'd sit there and I'd watch the waves. And I'd go in the water, still a little bit cold, but much nicer than the Pacific. And to think that, you know, here I am now at the Atlantic Ocean and it was a little awesome for me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're having such a wonderful adventure. Yeah. So should we get into some stuff that's not so wonderful? Well, yeah, but let me tell you a little bit about what's going on over here. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think I mentioned that I'm staying on the property of uh, one of the clients that I'm waiting for her to deliver, which has been really sweet. Um, And um, we actually went and did a uh, prenatal right on the ocean the other day, which, you know, it's so special that we do this kind of work where we can go and, you know, walk out in nature and talk and sit and, you know, not, not only get to have it be a holistic experience, but also let nature be part of the healing and the opening and the connection that we're creating before this delivery. Um, Elizabeth Davis, who is one of my teachers, she's one of, uh, she's the woman who wrote Heart and Hands. She runs um, NMI. You know, she would always say the more work that you do in prenatal care, the less you're going to have to do in labor. And this mama, um, it's her third delivery, but her first home birth. And, and she had, you know, quite a traumatic experience in her experience last time. Um, very fast birth, didn't know what was happening. Uh, no one was talking to her. She felt very scared. She felt overwhelmed by the physical experience that was happening and no one was really telling her. And as soon as she moved her body, her baby started to come out. Um, and she was talking about if someone had been able to like, just let her know that she was so close, you know, her baby was coming any minute, but you know, if, if anyone's ever been to a hospital delivery, you know what I'm talking about. They're so busy checking you in and doing the things that they have to do to check their boxes that they weren't even being present with this woman who was obviously really needing some grounding and some support. Um, so it was the first time that we were able to really, um, 
talk about some of her feelings in the upcoming birth and and help her connect to that. So there were tears and laughter and um, a lot of, a lot opened up. And so I'm really grateful that I get to have a really small practice in a beautiful place where we can integrate that into the care that I'm giving. The other thing that was really cool this week um, is that part of the um, Bridge Bridge Midwives Project that I'm starting, which is um, helping to keep traditional midwifery alive. Um, I went and saw uh, Marina, who's a traditional midwife. Did you work with her at the sanctuary? I did. And I also got to see your pictures. So I, I, I saw the pictures of your prenatal visit. I saw the pictures you took with Marina too. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you say her uh, last name? Alz, Alz, Alz? Alzucar, Alzucar. Eh, maybe Alzucar. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's from Cuba. She ha- has basically every midwifery cert- certification that you could have. She has so many letters after her name, uh, has been practicing for 50 years and, um, will probably be the very first, uh, midwife just because of proximity and, and her desire to participate, um, in helping give away some of what she calls her legacy. Um, but it was so fun. We hiked, she took us to this beautiful hike and just sat with us and, and she kept apologizing for kind of talking so much. And we were like, are you are you kidding? That's what we want. We want to sit at your feet and let you just share because, you know, that's part of what this is about is that lost tradition. It's the oral tradition of, of giving information away, storytelling that, you know, we used to do, we used to learn from people. We would just sit with them and they would talk about the knowledge that they had. Um, so it was such a beautiful heartwarming day for everybody involved. And, um, I'm getting really excited about, doing more and more and more. So I just kind of wanted to share. Yeah, I, I, I can feel that. I can feel it. I can see it in your face. I get to see your face, but, but, um, and, and I, I get the same sort of energy. Like uh, on the 13th of May, I'm going to be doing another breach class in outside of Washington, DC. And my favorite part of it is the people want to know, well, what's the, what's the agenda. And so I'll send them, I have a one day agenda. I have a two day agenda, but I really like to, at the end, I put down, well, I could do this lecture on this or this, but I, you know, we could just have a sit down for an hour and a half and do a Q&A because everywhere I go, people want to ask, they want to ask questions. I'm, I'm becoming that person that people want me to just talk and just because yeah. I, I have so many stories at this point, which is what yeah. you and I have to yeah. talk about, about maybe putting it down on paper at some point. Right. This summer. <laughs> at some point. This summer. At some this point. summer. see how wiggly he is you guys um so i want to let you guys know my our our fellow travelers that um i am going to have the website up very soon for this project it's called the um the bridge midwives project and um this is going to be something that is only going to be able to stay alive and and have come to fruition through donations. So there'll be a place on the website where people can donate to be able to support us being able to um, facilitate honoring these midwives and capturing the wisdom that they have before they either leave their body or um, don't have the cognitive ability to be able to share their wisdom like we were just saying with Ina Mae. So it's important. It's very important. Yeah. Speaking of important. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I wanted to just, uh, I've got, well, I got, I got so many correspondence. I'm getting so many correspondence these days, inquiries, a ton of them. I think because for some reason, things are starting to explode a little bit and I'm getting more and more inquiries about, you know, I'm in upstate New York and I've got twins and they told me that, you know, one twin's smaller than the other and they're going to die in any second and that sort of thing. And, and uh, I get those all the time, but I got three um, messages from people, two on Instagram, one from my friend Carly, and I'm just going to go through them a little bit because I'd like to hear your commentary on them anyway. So this one is from um, a doula in Wisconsin. Unfortunately, I didn't write her name down, which is because I don't have a copy machine. Um, <laughs> hey, Dr. Stu, I'm a doula and student midwife in Wisconsin. I have a mom who's a good friend of mine who's doing virtual support with me who's in New York. By the way, this is like the third or fourth New York person in the last couple of days. She's had a high leak and they've kept her in the hospital for the past month with plans to induce at 34 weeks due to the infection risk. They started the induction process yesterday with Cervidil, followed by Cytotec at the eight hour mark. Then at 1 a.m. they started pit. Then they broke her waters this morning, thought she was leaking. <laughs> then they broke her waters this morning when she was only 2.5 centimeters dilated, which was followed by bleeding that she described as a full blown period. I'm not there or obviously I could have helped her have informed consent about these steps. I'm 99% positive she will end up with a C-section because she's not progressing. Yeah. My, quest my question, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a very <laughs> subtle, yeah, there. My question is, why are hospitals still following this procedure, even though we know these steps don't lead to great outcomes? Great question. Yeah, ask Semmelweis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know there is a risk of hemorrhage or placental separation after all of those drugs, but I don't want to scare her if slight bleeding is normal after all of these interventions. Is that normal? Also, I love the Brilliant Instincts podcast. You and Bliss are blessed blessing of information, keep up the good work and supporting the birthing community. Okay. We so, plan on it. Right. And then I, I wrote back to her. I said, I know you are seriously asking me why they do what they do. <laughs> okay. My answer is obtuseness and indoctrination and no intellectual curiosity are the nice explanations. There is no good reason. I wish I knew they can't really leave moms alone. Hardly ever. Yeah. So the other thing I said to her was if she'd been leaking and she'd been in the hospital, you say how long she was in the hospital, but apparently she'd been in the hospital for weeks with a high leak. If she's perfectly fine at 34 weeks, why are you inducing her at 30? Why did this risk of infection suddenly change at 34 weeks, not 33 weeks? Why not 35 weeks or why not 36 weeks? Why, why are they doing this? Is there data to support being ruptured for say six weeks? Now you're 34 weeks. Does the risk benefit ratio actually tip, the scales actually tip to inducing you because now 34 weeks, your baby's less likely to end up spending a lot of time in the NICU versus mm -hmm. the risk of infection. But if the baby hasn't been infected in five or six weeks, what's the likelihood it's gonna get infected in the next two or three weeks? Why not give that baby a chance to not going to the NICU at all? But do you know if they deliver a 34 weeker, it's going to the NICU. So yeah. Why, Are you saying like, just continue to stay in the hospital until home? Oh, uh-huh. Why is she even there? If she starts contracting or gets a fever, she can pick up the phone and call her doctor. What are they going to do emergently 
in the hospital that she couldn't have been doing for five weeks at home. And what if she had another, what if this was her second or third kid and she had two kids at home and she's been yeah. taken away from her kids for five weeks to sit in a hospital bed. Now, I don't know the whole story. Maybe there's problems with the heartbeat and maybe there's been D cells. I don't know, but I think she would have said that. Okay. So if you had a client who was in your care and the babies looked fine and she had a high leak at what was it? 30 weeks. Say th just say 30. We don't know. Okay. So what would you, what would you do? What would you do, Stu? I would send her to the hospital to get monitored. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And make sure everything's fine. Uh-huh. Um, I would probably culture her. Just okay. to know that the GBS was negative. Okay. I wouldn't prophylactically put her on antibiotics, waiting for their GBS result. And then if she's quiet for a day or two and she doesn't go into labor, I, you know, even in the old days, I would probably have sent her home. Okay. Right. Why did she, you know, if they're, we used to keep people at bed rest when they were extremely premature. Like if someone ruptured their membranes at 24 weeks, we'd keep them in the hospital because we thought that if we sent them home, they wouldn't listen and they'd be up and about. And we thought that that would actually make a difference. Data doesn't show that bed rest makes much of a difference. Right. So I think it's the idea we must do something. I think I talked about that earlier. The doctors just don't know how to do nothing. Well, it's also liability, right? You send, um, you send them home and one of the babies die or both babies die. And I think that's probably a big part of it as well, why they don't send people home. Well, and, and, there's, and there's another reason why they don't send them home. Listen, this is a more sinister reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. But when you send somebody home, uh, how do you bill for that? Right. You don't. You're in the hospital yeah. every day. You bill for that. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and then you bill for the swabs and you bill for the blood draws and you bill for the monitoring and you bill for all the stuff that you can't Tylenol. <laughs> and the Tylenol, which you should never give. According to Marked our, up 600%. Right. Remember, remember Tylenol is a no-no, right? From, from our last podcast. From our yeah, last Tylenol is a no-no. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, many of my... Uh, very few probably of, of my midwife colleagues have seen the movie Moneyball. But I listened to a podcast uh, of another guy. He talks about the Moneyball theory all the time. And Moneyball was about the, uh, a manager named Billy Bean of the Oakland A's who came up with small ball. He basically had a budget of like tiny budget and he, they won 20 games in a row and they went over a hundred games that year and they went to the playoffs and he changed baseball. He talked, he was the one who got into analytics of baseball. Like how many, how do they get, how often do they get on base and what's their on-base percentage? What's the, you know, pitcher's uh, record when they, when they throw a first pitch strike versus a first pitch ball, that all that little detail. And he, there was a scene in the movie where the, uh, the scouts were telling him about this guy uh, in the minors, who's a, a really good hitter. And so he says, well, if he's a really good hitter, how come he doesn't hit good? Because mm -hmm. it's hitting good. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, you can use this in life for many, many things, but you just look at the medical model and you go, if the medical model is really good, how come it's not really good? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. If you're going to do all these interventions on somebody, end up with 30 or 40% C-section rate and all that stuff, that, then maybe your model isn't so good, even though you say it's good. 
Or if the vaccine here, is here. Safe, if the vaccine is safe and effective, how come it's not safe and effective? <laughs> that's a different. <laughs> how come you need five? How come you need five boosters? Um, are you moving on to the next letter? I could. Okay, because I want to I want to interject something in between. So um, there was a Instagram post that went a little bit viral, um, and it had to do with a topic that we mentioned. It wasn't a main topic of ours. It was just something we mentioned probably about six weeks ago about continuous skin on skin versus intermittent skin on skin. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, yeah I, I totally. Uh, skin to skin is in. Right. Well, they were attributing us as being the ones who initially had that conversation. And I'm I'm very honored that we were given that that acknowledgement. But it was actually the midwives on um, Midwives Cauldron, the other podcast uh, with the midwives from um, England that I was listening to their podcast and then discussed it with you. So some people were saying, what podcast was that? And I just wanted to say go check out their episode Skin on Skin for um, the Midwives Cauldron to get more detail because you and I just mentioned it for a tiny little bit and it yeah, wasn't and then, a main, and then I main topic. I mox, I mox Cedar sinais uh, laminated uh, poster in the bathroom. <laughs> but um, also, yeah, there was that beautiful thing on Instagram where the baby was just sitting on mom's breast. It kind of, everybody reposted it. I mean, even I did. I know, I love that. I love yeah, it. it. That yeah, information it was, got out there. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, let's, let's give credit where credit is due. Well, let's also give credit to bamboobies. And let's say bamboobies like six times. Okay. Say bamboobies. No, not six times. All right. <laughs> bamboobies, bamboobies, bamboobies. Three times. Okay. Tell us about bamboobies, Bliss. They're one of our sponsors. They've been a sponsor for us for a long time. I know. Isn't that, remember, remember back in the day, we would be like, hey, if anybody wants to sponsor us, well, Bamboobies has really stepped up and been a major contributor to this podcast. And we're so thankful. They are a great company that um, is committed to the comfort for mom and baby. They've got great eco-conscious line um, that I love coming from bamboo breast pads to uh, nursing tanks wonderful teas and salves, um, all uh, focused on, on the comfort of mom and baby and making sure that the environment is taken care of as well. So go check them out. And Stu's got a wonderful code for you so that yeah. you can use that to yeah. support so go us to their website, Bamboobies. Yeah, go to their website, bamboobies.com and go to their boutique, uh, their online store and buy some stuff. And then when you check out... <laughs> When you check out, um, put fill in, up your cart, put in the code word instincts and you get 25% off. So that's bamboobies.com code word instincts for 25% off of your purchase. Thanks, bamboobies. Thanks, bamboobies. Okay. So this next uh, message came from Peaceful Babies on Instagram. She says, hi, Dr. Fishbein. I'm, contact I'm contacting, contacting all the way from Nova Scotia, Canada. I'm a birth, I would love to go to Nova Scotia. I just don't, I hope I can go to Canada someday. <laughs> I hope Canada, you know, gets its sanity back, but, um, cause I would really like to go to Eastern Canada. I've never been to Prince Edward Island or Nova Scotia. It's probably really pretty there, especially in the fall. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a birth doula and a mother of two. I have just recently learned about you and all that you are doing for us mothers. 
and for the future generations regarding birth rights, informed consent, etc. I'm reaching out to you today for an idea that I wanted to share with you. Is there a study being currently conducted about strep B bacteria and amniotic fluid? I would probably tell you, no, there's not, but this is a really interesting thing that she says because mm -hmm. since amniotic fluid is sterile for the most part and full of antimicrobial properties, could it be that when a mother is positive for strep B before the, and during labor and her water does not break until she begins to push, could it be that the amniotic fluid washes the vagina canal clean of those bacteria? I too was tested positive of strep B with my last pregnancy. I decided not to go with the intravenous antibiotic treatment. I started pushing and when I had the urge to do so. And after my second push, my water broke. And after three more pushes, my baby boy was born. He got tested and he was negative for strep B, but they didn't bother testing me. I just have this feeling that there is a link between amniotic fluid and strep B. I understand, of course, that the best way to go is with antibacterial treatments during labor if tested positive. We have our, we have our thoughts on that. We've talked about that on a previous podcast. Bliss is nodding. Yeah, yeah, GBS. As a birth doula, I support my clients' wishes and inform them with the newest evidence-based information. Well, thank you so much. If you took the time to read this, I wish we had more OBGYNs like you. Keep what you are, keep what you are doing. Thank you. And I wrote back, Nadine, this is a brilliant theory. I don't know if anyone has studied it, but it makes so much sense. Does it really need a study? As we, as Bliss likes to say on the podcast, you know, we say that all the time. If it, you know, if, if do we have to really study something to tell you that it works? I'll bring mm -hmm. it up with Bliss. Hugs, how's Canada currently? What a mess you guys were a while back. All right. So um, what do you think about that, Bliss? I mean, uh, do you think that nature has thought this through? Are you talking about the, G, the, the amniotic fluid washing the GBS out? Or Is that what you're talking being, about? Or even being sort of antibacterial so that even if you a woman breaks her bag and the fluid is leaking out through labor, I mean, the, the truth is that, that when they studied GBS, only a very small people, a percentage of people who had GBS positive, the babies actually got infected. And there's really no way to figure out which babies are going to get infected and which babies aren't going to get infected. But you have to think for a second, well, if it's so virulent and so bad, why aren't more babies getting infected? What do you think? Well, the thing is, is that um, if if a woman is left alone and not not alone, alone, you know what I mean, listeners, why not I say that um, not bothered with most of the time, the bag will break soon before delivery. And I do think that that's a way of protecting the baby for these longer labors. And um, and most of the infections and stuff that happen are when it's introduced through doing vaginal exams and something and like that, right? That's when the, the risk goes up. So I do think there's something to think about, about it being this thing that, because I think a lot of times um, women think that once their bag breaks, it's like the Sahara desert, you know, that like there's no water for the baby, but the fluid keeps coming and like you were saying washing the vagina so i do think that there is this natural progression of like whether your bag breaks or doesn't break it's continuing to kind of keep the fluids moving out right rather than in Down, unless we're the ones who are, right yeah unless we're the ones that are introducing things which you know in nature that's not 
normally happening. People are not doing vaginal exams and stuff on chimpanzees, right? Um, so I think that there's there's some logic to that. I don't know specifically about uh, you know, GBS and the amniotic fluid having enough properties to necessarily fight that. Um I think some babies are going to get very sick and it, but there is a risk factor, which is babies that are already compromised in some way. So babies that are very small, babies that are, you know, premature or babies that were already sick in some way that can't necessarily fight off the bacteria. So that makes sense, right? Yeah, it does make sense. And yeah. I would, and I will yeah. tell you that I don't think that they'll study this for several reasons. One is even if they found that there was antibacterial properties in the fluid, it wouldn't change their management any. Mm -hmm. um, and two, it gets back to the, not the money ball theory, but the money theory, <laughs> which is if they can't give antibiotics, they can't bill for that. And I know that this becomes a recurring theme that we talk about on the podcast, but if you look at everything that's happened through COVID and through other vaccines and other medical issues. And, and even with my back and the, and the guy wanting to me to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to have surgery and not really talking about any other options or anything like that, there's, there's this tendency, whether it's on purpose or accidental, to lead to things that you can charge for, that, may, that make money. You, so why would they investigate something that's going to not help them make money. It's kind of like we talked about in a previous podcast about breast milk. Mm -hmm. Why would they push breastfeeding? You can't charge for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why here in the States, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, research that's done is financially motivated. But when we, when there's um, research that's done in countries that have more socialized medicine, um, they're going to save money by not having to do procedures. So sometimes those studies tend to be um, less influenced in the way that you're talking about being financially motivated because they are financially motivated, but in the other direction because they're yeah. trying to save money by not doing procedures. That's so. true. That's true. And it also mm -hmm. depends on who's funding the research. And also if they can do that research and get it published in a journal, if, if, if the people funding the journal don't like the research. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, if, if Big Pharma is funding most journals as it is, and they found a reason not to use a pharmaceutical product, uh, it's going to be a harder time to get that thing published. Yeah. Okay. So. What was her name, by the way? That that doula. Well, that was Peaceful Babies. Okay, Peaceful Babies. But go back and listen to the whole GBS episode that we did a few months ago, because you'll hear a lot of information about um, our theories about GBS and looking at it from a European model that will help you counsel your, um, your clients. Right. Moving on. Okay. So this is from Carly. Carly, I don't know if you've ever met Carly Bliss, but Carly was a, was a midwife student in Hawaii the very first time I went to Hawaii to teach, reteach, breach. And um, she got married. She's got two kids now. She, they, her husband is a medical was a medical student in Iowa and they just matched. They're going to be moving to Florida. Uh, lucky mm -hmm. them. <laughs> so like by Carly writes me this, um, we talk not infrequently. She texts me, my sis-in-law 
had a biophysical profile today at 40 weeks. Baby got a two out of eight. Generously gave it a four out of eight. They sent her to be induced. Baby has been great for seven hours on the monitors at the hospital. She is regretting the decision to come to be induced. She, she has been on Cervidil since two o'clock. I don't know what time that, um, must've been hours before. If no dilation at 2 a.m., could she decide to say if, F it, <laughs> F it and go home. That's what she is thinking she may want to do since baby is clearly fine. Okay, so my first question to her would be what? Uh, why did she get a biophysical profile at 40 weeks? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her response is they do it routinely in their office. Yeah. Okay. They give it to everyone at 40 plus weeks. They scheduled it weeks before. Yes. So, um, so they did a, a biophysical profile on her for no reason. And they got a low score and they meddled with her. But while, when she got to the hospital, the baby was beautifully reactive on the monitor and perfectly fine. So we don't know what, why she got the baby was scored low in the beginning anyways. No, right? we don't even know what they, did. They do the biophysical profile properly. Did they do it for 20 minutes. Did they do it for 40 minutes. You know, was the baby asleep the whole time? Yeah. And, but now she's been on the monitor for several hours and the baby's been looking great. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So yeah. that, and I, said, and I said, yep, that's what I thought. And she said, it freaked her out, obviously. And now she is pissed that they didn't explain anything or that they are not even worried at all because the baby's seemingly perfect now. And I wrote, of course she is. Unnecessary testing leads to unnecessary intervention. This is what goes for standard of care. I hear this constantly. And now the seeds of fear and doubt will fester. Right? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, then, then she told me that she's talking to her husband who is uh, you know, gonna be a first year resident. And it says, says it certainly glad, makes me glad to hear Eric is his, is her, is his name. Eric's pers perspective when he's talking to people in this situation, his small home birth hospital experience has made him understand why we think the way we do. So turns out that she did go home. She went into labor on her own and she had her baby. On her, I mean, she had her baby at the hospital, but she had her baby and vaginally. So, so she checked out AMA. Yeah, I, I guess so. Well, that's best I could tell. Again. Because the next thing I know, I got a picture of Carly holding her, her niece. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe, maybe the Cervidil kicked in. I, I, I don't know. Cause we didn't really talk yeah. after that. It might've kicked yeah. in, but there was no reason at 40 weeks for her to have this testing done in the first place. She wasn't complaining yeah. anything. She wasn't high risk or anything. She wasn't having decreased fetal movement. They did a test. The test came back falsely positive. And they, they acted on it as opposed to maybe saying, let's just send you in for monitoring for a couple hours to hospital. They would have seen the baby was fine. They would have sent her home and not put Cervidil in her vagina. It's just, yeah. a, it's mm -hmm. just a, it's a mentality bliss that you and I and all our listeners pretty much see every day. And there's just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know how you break, you break the cycle. You break the cycle by, by making new paradigms like, uh, you got you want to do and and um, Bliss is nodding again for people that aren't watching. <laughs> yes. 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 Right. Because obviously, I've been I've been fighting this fight for thirty years, 
and uh, the needle hasn't moved that much. We we went from one to one point four right around the time that business of being born came out, which was what Stu like two thousand nine probably. Yeah, somewhere around there, right before our birth center opened, the sanctuary opened in LA, and then uh, the pandemic in twenty twenty. Um, moved the needle again to 1.8, I think we're at now, you know, but that's still such a tiny percentage. Um, so it's going to take a radical shift in, in women's perspective about what they want and how they just, how their babies deserve to be welcomed into the world and what they're willing to tolerate and not, and stop trying to get the hospital to, um, change, because the hospital doesn't seem to want to change. So um, taking birth back and uh, delivering outside of the hospital when you are uh, desiring to have a natural unmedicated delivery and you're low risk and healthy, um, you know, keeping it outside of the hospital as much as possible. And then the stories that we get to tell and the visuals that we get to see and the feelings we get to have and the babies that this is normalized for, things will be able to start to shift, but you're going to keep bashing your head up against a wall if you're trying to change a system that's really not interested in what you're interested in because they're not. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you still have to stand up for yourself when you're in the system, but, but more and more women are, are figuring it out. And, you know, they're, they're seeking alternatives to it because I can only, I can just tell you from my, you know, it's my own study of my own experience, which, counts for something because it does yeah, wisdom it does. Mm -hmm. and and there are more and more requests all the time every every week i'm getting more and more through birthing instincts uh website people writing me these these letters we just talked about i talked about it earlier and, and um they all know the women know it the women know that they're getting screwed yeah so right. okay just do the best we can I have two more things that I, I really want to get to today. And then, oh, one is I wanted to just say at the, uh, you know, Bliss is uh, sort of relocated to Santa Barbara right now. And the Santa Barbara Birth Center, um, one of their longtime midwives is, is, has just left, Jenna, and um, they, they're welcoming a new midwife, uh, Jana Hearth. So I just want to, you know, I sort of have an affinity. For, I used to be the medical director. I used, I might still be the medical advisor of the Santa Barbara Birth Center. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I love that. A lot of people, a lot of people use my name, and I'm not sure that I even know that they're using my name, but it's okay. So I had lunch with the the midwives this week, and I'm I'm backing them this month in case they have a pile up before this new midwife uh, joins the team. So it's all it's all big happy family over here. Yeah. So I wanted to just read. Um, a thing about the ACOG, we talked about this two weeks ago, I think, where we talked about, uh, I played, I played a, a video of ACOG selling its Tdap vaccination. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So ACOG's newsletter just came out on uh, a couple of days, a few days ago. And um, they talked about, um, here's, here are the different topics in their newsletter. It's uh, checking in on Tdap vaccination during pregnancy how to close the coverage gaps, uh, immunization coding for obstetricians, gynecologists, how to make more money giving vaccines, inform to empower building COVID-19 vaccine confidence one conversation at a time, 
launching ACOG's social media ambassadors to promote vaccine confidence. ACOG is proud to announce the first ever cohort of COVID-19 vaccine confidence social media ambassadors. We're working with these 10 individuals as trusted ACOG OBGYNs and social media ambassadors to increase confidence in and demand for COVID-19 vaccines. So uh, I thought about reading their names, but I guess I won't. <laughs> it would bore, it, bore people to yeah. All right. It sounds like these aren't your peers anymore, Stu. They are. In, they are basically in training only. Yeah. They, that's yeah. About it. Yeah. And the office Office of Surgeon General is still calling for uh, stories and research on health misinformation. Um, again, we remember what misinformation means, Bliss. Do you remember? Lies. No, it means truth. It means truth. No, <laughs> yeah, you got it wrong. Oh my God, she she got it wrong. It means, it means it means truth. I was I was messing with you. Oh, you were okay. It means yeah. truth. It means truth that the people in power don't like. Because <laughs> misinformation, if it wasn't true, they just call it a lie. I'm calling what they're doing lying. They're calling what I'm doing misinformation. What's yes. The, what's the difference? Well, mine's true. It gets back to our initial conversation about what's true and what's not true. Exactly. <laughs> um, so speaking of misinformation and, and uh, the Surgeon General and the uh, totalitarian nature of where medicine is headed, um, Physicians for Informed Consent, which is a organization that I support, they do really good work um, and you should support them if you're looking for a charitable thing to dump some money into, they're, they're a good one. Um, they sent out a, a form letter for us to send to our uh, legislature and it goes like this, or no, excuse me, to our patients about what the legislature is doing. So I'm gonna, because I'm not gonna be mailing this out to everybody, I'm gonna read it. And if people want a copy of it, they can email me and I can send them a copy of it. But it goes like this, dear patient, I am writing to you as a concerned physician worried about the future of your medical care. Locally and nationally, politicians and government agencies are implementing policies which will potentially have long lasting harmful effects on your health. Physicians are committed to the principle of first doing no harm in the sacred tradition of the Hippocratic Oath. We are dedicated to protecting the health of our patients and practicing ethical, scientific, and individualized care of the whole person. I'll, I'll digress for just a second. Ethical, scientific, and individualized care of the whole person. That is the midwifery model. That is not the medical model, right? That's how we practice. Individualization yeah. of care does not exist in the medical model. Either does, ethics, either does ethics or science, but that's okay. However, under the guise of public health emergency, many of your basic fundamental rights are being stripped away. Currently, California legislatures are passing through committees a series of bills which will significantly compromise your, your access to the information and advice you need to make an informed decision about medical treatments. Here are three of them. Assembly Bill 2098, which I've spoken about on the podcast before, prevents doctors from using their independent medical judgment to advise and treat their patients. This bill prohibits doctors from speaking about or disagreeing with what the health authorities have determined to be the best medical advice or else they risk losing their medical license. So in other words, if I suggest to you ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or reasonable alternatives or the vaccine is not safe and effective, I could potentially be called up, say I'm, that's unprofessional conduct and have my license revoked. 
Yeah. Bill not only violates the constitutional right to free speech, but will limit your doctor's ability to manage your medical care. I am daring the Medical Board of California here on my podcast to come after me for saying that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin saved a lot of lives and the vaccine risk benefit ratio in many, many people, including children, is much more harmful than good. All right, come after me for that misinformation. Bill uh, SB 866 allows minors 12 and up to consent to vaccination without parental consent or knowledge, excuse me. Bill, Senate Bill 1419 prohibits the representative of a minor from inspecting the minor's patient record when the records relate to certain services. In other words, you would not, your kid could get something done at school and you wouldn't be have the right to know what was done to your kid at school. Yeah. Individually, these bills are harmful. Combined, they are detrimental to the practice of medicine, patient care, and parental rights. Um, that's mild. These bills are evil. They have no place in uh, a democratic society. And the only reason they do these sorts of things is because they, they, they can't handle debate because the truth defeats them. So they, they have to silence people with a differing opinion. We don't want to silence anybody with a different opinion. We're happy to discuss these things with people. They don't want to discuss it because they lose. So it says, please speak out against these bills in order to protect your medical rights and allow physicians to continue to give individualized patient consent without fear of retribution. So contact your legislature and all that stuff. And I just want to make sure that that's out there because um, it's obvious why I want it out there. Because this is, this is our future. If they can, if they can dictate how our what we have to do to in our medical care, they we have no freedom. There is no freedom. And home birth, home birth will just be an, another nail in the coffin. They'll they'll just take care of that too, right? A relic. Well, what they'll do is they'll say, oh, well, you women can birth at home, but if but in some states they already have this. But if anybody who's professionally trained wants to help you, uh, that's a felony. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. They do it all the time. All the time. Uh, anything else you want to add today? I have a question for you. Are you sitting in your captain's chair? Is that the chair next to the drive the driver? Are do those two chairs like spin around? Yeah. Yeah. They're called captain's chairs. Yeah. You. You. It reminds me. I think they'll, they'll send a, you know, have a clip on Instagram with you sitting in this chair, but it reminds me of, of um, somebody like on Star Trek or something, you know, they would sit in those chairs. So that's what it reminds me of. I had to ask you, I, those chairs are cool, by the way. I had warp factor five. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, they are cool. And, and actually uh, cool. I had a friend over, um, about a week ago uh, when I was in Virginia Beach and I put the little table in, there's a little table that you can put in between the two seats, turn the mm -hmm. seat. And I actually ate dinner at this little table inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, this, it's, it, the parts that are working are great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys, this pod, the podcast has become uh, about birth and about RVing. RV just life. in case, just in case you weren't confident about that yeah you know um, this, this whole thing has this has this seat by the way the passenger seat 
the yeah. whole the whole front dashboard pulls out and becomes a computer station. That's bitching. Yeah, it is bitching. <laughs> and, it, and it's comfortable. You know, I didn't put the armrest down over here, but I could put my other armrest down and then I can yeah, rest both arms. It definitely looks like you're sitting at, at a desk and, and that's that's great. You got all, everything you need there. So. And I have, a, I have a kitty at my feet. I'm in really good shape. Well, I know you were a little frustrated when things started because the universe threw your th phone on the floor and erased everything that you had organized. But I, I hope that you got some stuff off your chest today and um, yeah, you're feeling I, I, good I, about You know what, Bliss? An hour and 15 minutes has flown by. Yeah. If I had more stuff, we wouldn't have had time for it anyway. So the stuff, that, the stuff that we talked about is the stuff that really matters. And that's my favorite thing about our podcast is that once a week, you and I get to have an hour with you every week. Other people get an hour with you once in a while. I get an hour with you every week. And it's great. It's true. Great for yeah. me. You know, you've been my mentor. You've been my, my, you know, when it comes to RV living, you are my, you are the boss. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we could drag this, we could drag our goodbyes on for a long time. Support Bamboobies, support Element, um, share our podcast with people. And um, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, or the middle of the night, we are so happy that you joined us. We are. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.